Hello, everyone. Rick Thomas here. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. The title of the podcast is The Need to Know How Choices to Feel Better Are Addictive. We do this every day in our lives. We make choices. We are volitional beings, and we want to feel better. And so we make choices that make us feel better. Now, in a vacuum, that does not have to be bad. In fact, I will talk about that at the end of the podcast. But for this podcast, Podcast, I want to talk primarily how bad choices to make us feel better can become addictive and can lure us into a dark trap from which we cannot extricate ourselves. Now, let me say on the front end of this that this applies to every one of us. Everybody is an addict to one degree or another. Some of the addictions that we have are more consequential, more severe, more embarrassing, more a lot of things on the hyperbole side. And then there are other addictions that we have, or let's say more respectable and maybe don't get as much airplay, or we just don't look at those things with the disdain that we do uh, with what I'm going to say are these bigger sins. But the important thing that I want you to hear is that You and me, every one of us, draw a circle around humanity and say that we are all addicts to something to some degree. And therefore, whatever you hear in this podcast, do not tune out because there is much application here for you and every other person that you know. Now, if you want to read this podcast, I want you to. There is a 2,000 plus word article sitting on our website. Come to our website and read it. As many of you know, our articles make extensive homework assignments, robust homework assignments, because uh, there are so many embedded links in each article that literally you could spend weeks studying the one article that drills down deep into so many others, and it can really give you a a good, strong, robust view of a problem that can help you change, or for those of you who do the work of discipleship, it can help others, those within your sphere of care. Dina, thank you so much for your $25 donation. I'm so grateful that you care enough and you are able. There are so many who care, but they are not able. And I I know that, very much aware of that. And so uh, when people like you, Dina, do donate to our ministry, thank you because you're helping a bunch of people uh, so they can access these resources freely. So Dina, please just hear Hear clearly, clearly and honestly, thank you so much for your kindness. All right, let me jump into it. The need to know how choices, whatever those choices may be, to feel better are addictive. I want to talk about one choice that is very common in our culture today because every family in America has, or a virtually every family in the world, has experienced the adverse impact of sexual-related issues. And so I'm choosing that topic at the head of the podcast because that in itself is a pandemic. Let me give you a word cloud that hovers over this theme of sexual-related issues, and then you will understand why I said that every family in America has experienced the adverse impact of sexual-related issues. The Internet, sexual abuse, this is all part of the word cloud, fornication, adultery, even our bent 
toward immodest clothes, makeup, and presenting ourselves a certain way. All of these things, plus a few more that you can think of yourself, make up that word cloud that describes our sexual pandemic. Now, what may surprise you is how easily you can identify with and imitate the porn addict. I want you to think about that. I'm going to make my case, a strong case. Don't think it's arguable that even though I'm going to talk about pornography at the top of this podcast, do not tune me out because this has application to you. Because you will be able, uh, I trust that God has given you the wisdom and the insight to identify how you can imitate the porn addict as you choose other soul-shrinking solutions to feel better about yourself. Now, again, as I said, at the top here, I'm going to talk about pornography, but then I'm going to flatten it out in a more generalized way so that it will encompass everybody. I'm not going to stay on the porn theme. I'm just going to use that as an illustration to make my point, and then we'll flatten it out. All right, so let's start with porn's trifecta. There are three links that typically connect to porn. Those links are, in this order, this is a sequence of linkage. One, lust. Two, pornography. Three, masturbation. That is the sequence, that is the linkage, that is porn's trifecta. The person begins with the seed of desire in the heart. When the passion or the desire connects to an outward object, in this illustration it is pornography, the lust ignites. And then when it ignites, the person has to put out the fire and masturbation extinguishes the flame. And so the the linkage of the sequence of porn's trifecta is lust, pornography, and masturbation. Now, James has given us an illustration of this concept in James 1, 14 and 15. There are two sentences here. I want you to listen to these two sentences. I'll work through them, and then I want to come back to this trifecta, this linkage that I was talking about with, with pornography. James says in 1.14, first sentence, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Linkage number one, desire. The desire is, it doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It's just sitting there dormant. All right. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And so when that desire connects with something in our outside world, it brings forth sin. So in my sequence, the desire, lust, it connects to pornography. And when lust connects to pornography, boom, there is sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, in my illustration, the third link in the chain is masturbation. And this is the person who is habitualized. He he sets the lust aflame by pornography. He puts it out. And now he is in this rote habit. In essence, he's a walking dead man now. It has brought forth death because he is a habitualized, addictive porn person. Now, Do you see the links in those two verses? The lust nest in the heart, alone, untempted, and then ignition happens when there is an object. 
in the person's sight lines. And I want to make a distinction later on. I mean, you need to make this distinction now, but I want to talk about it more later on. There are two things here. There's what's going on in the heart, and then there's this object in the outside world. Both of those are important, but there is a 1A and 1B here. And 1A is the desire or the lust in the heart. 1B is the object, and you must always have them in that order. And so ignition happens when there is an object in the person's sight line. In this case, is porn on the internet, let's say. The flames of lust burn robustly, and so the person chooses gratification to extinguish the problem, which is masturbation in my three-link sequence. James says this person will bring forth death, which is an accurate way to think about it. The steps to do that begin imperceptibly. But then at some point, it becomes a rote habit. And so it begins imperceptibly. You don't even realize what you're doing. You just do it, and then you do it again and again and again. And then without thinking, the addict will go through this sequence a zillion times, and the person is now a dead man walking. The prevalence and preference of porn are mainly due to the secretiveness of this sin. I mean, one of the reasons that it is so addictive is because, well, it's so available, but not just available. You can literally do it privately. You can do it in cyberspace where we connect with each other and detach ourselves from each other all at the same time. Did you hear that weird connection in that sentence? We connect with each other, and maybe you should put the word connect in quotation marks because we're not really connecting, but we like to say we're connecting. So we connect with each other, and we detach ourselves from each other all at the same time. We are a weird community of cyber silos. There's another weird connection, community cyber silos, where intimacy is artificial, but real enough to satisfy any dark longing. Cyberspace is the perfect evil where those who prefer darkness over light to habituate themselves. Now, in a sense, let me flatten it out just a little bit and move away from the porn thing briefly. In a sense, Facebook is porn, where some lonely, cynical, self-imposed, social distancing people hang out. They don't want real relationships because those real-world connections have proven to be disappointing, hurtful, and unfulfilling. And there are many people that can relate to that. But they want intimacy, even if it is artificial. And so when your craving is so strong, you will take something that's artificial over the real thing. Do you see the similarity between the Facebook porn addict and the real porn addict? They will take an artificial intimacy to satisfy a craving. A Facebooker will do the same. The Internet is the shortest distance between lust and gratification, whether it's pornography or the lonely, cynical, self-imposed social distancing Facebooker. 
The habituated individual can jump on the net to get their fix on and then go about their day without entangling themselves in the messiness of real-world lives. And so the porn addict can do that and not have to have real relationships and not have to get entangled in all that messiness. They can satisfy the lust through the object, the porn person or the cyber lady. And then the social media porn addict can do similarly. And so the porn addict or the Facebooker, they give themselves over to an artificial relationship addiction because they want to control the narrative of their lives. And I trust that you heard that. The porn person wants something so badly, and rather than doing it the right way, they, they want to control the narrative. They want to do it their way so they don't have to enter into the messiness of the relationship, and they can get their satisfaction their way, and so they're in control. The Facebooker who wants this artificial intimacy and doesn't want to get into the messiness of real-world lives, they too want to control the narrative of their lives. And rather than trusting God, it allows them to be a God, little G-O-D, who manages the course of their lives. And, and when we're in control, when we are the ones that's writing the narrative, when we are the ones who are self-reliant, well, more than likely, we're going to pick the easiest path every time. And so whether it's the porn addict or the Facebook addict, we're just not going to get into real-world relationships because there's a shorter distance between my lust and gratification. Now, this precedent that I'm describing to you between the porn addict and the Facebooker, well, there is a precedent to, to this perspective. You remember when Satan told Eve that if she disobeyed God, she could be like God? And for whatever reason, his suggestion was enough for her to say no to God and, and yes to evil. There's that intersection again. You, you have to believe a lie rather than the truth when you want to do something badly enough. Eve wanted it, and there was a path of least resistance. She took it, and Adam was not far behind. Although they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They chose the path of futile thinking, and because of their foolish choice, their hearts went dark. And that's what an addiction will do. It's, it's kind of like standing in front of a, a remote control, a, a dimmer switch on a light switch. And every time you do this, it gets darker and darker and darker. And eventually, it just the light goes out. And as improbable as it may sound, they did walk with God, but they willfully chose to embrace a lie. And as you have already intuited, you can't judge them too unkindly because you have done this many times. And so have I. And so I'm not even judging you unkindly as I don't judge Adam and Eve because I kind of understand what they were doing and why they, they did it. I, too, like to be in control. I, too, want to be self-reliant. I, too, want the path to least resistance. And so that those temptations are before all of us, and we will yield from time to time. Now, God's response to his two friends was not to change them back to their former state. He decided to give them up to the impure lust of their hearts. He allowed them to exchange the truth about himself for a lie, and the effect of their sin was an insatiable desire to worship and serve the creature more than the true and living God. Hopefully that's a little bit scary. As you continue to do that, to exchange the truth of God uh, to a lie, 
and God doesn't change you back and allows you to go that way, and you create this insatiable desire to worship yourself. This first sin scene in the Bible is the story of a man and a woman who wanted to be like a god. And rather than resting in the all-sufficient and self-existing one, they, they wanted to experience their version of self-reliance, self-actualization, and self-satisfaction. They wanted to experience life on their terms, like the porn addict or the social distancing Facebooker who's cynical about real-world relationships. They wanted to do it their way. Knowing God does not mean you won't implement a do-it-yourself plan into your life. They knew God, but they implemented a do-it-yourself plan. The problem with a human-centered model for doing things your way, as I've been describing here with Adam and Eve, is that you may, ha- you may work your way into that problem, but you will not work your way out of it. Adam and Eve had no fix for what they did, and you need to know this or you will complicate your original sin problem, the original choice that you made. You may choose self-reliance to make your original mess, but you need God-reliance to extricate yourself from it. Now, as you know, Adam and Eve's temptation, there is... The offer of self-sufficiency, you can be like a God. That is a without-God theology. And so every time we choose a path like that, where we exchange the truth of God for a lie and take the shortest distance between our lust and gratification, we are self-sufficient and we are working with a without-God theology. The perceived perverted upside to this type of twisted theology is that rather than giving the Lord glory for the great things he has done, the sinner becomes the centerpiece. The sinner becomes the receptacle for all praise, all fame, and adoration. You can be like God. And so now God does not receive praise, fame, and adoration for this kind of living lifestyle, you become the epicenter of the world. It's vital to know this too, because if you're helping someone who is addicted, you need to understand this core heart theology. The porn problem, the object of the porn, well, that's again 1B, but there is something really sinister and narcissistic going on in this person's heart. And so you have to dress the heart of the porn problem or whatever the addiction is. For example, let me give you an illustration with porn. Porn, the object, that's the object. It's not primarily about a woman's body. And so when a person thinks about pornography, they think about the object, what the person is looking at, what the person is viewing. Now, granted, there is a form of twisted pleasure in the object of our desires, but it is the desire that is the control center of the heart. And once you identify and isolate this hidden desire, then you can help the addict down redemption's road. But don't make the mistake of giving the object of his lust all your attention. The practice of porn is a person's subtle and secret way to receive self-worship and self-glory. 
Let me speak to that. Let me give you an example of how this works. And so you have a porn addict and you're helping. The object is the pornography, but there is this deceptive heart worship where that person is a god, so they receive all praise, all fame, all adoration. And so how does it work? Where the porn addict surrounds himself with a a harem of cyber ladies who fawn over him, and all of these cyber girls become the objects that satisfy his heart desires. The heart desire that's going on, well, in this case, is the theater of his mind. He is role-playing in his mind as they are fawning over him, satisfying these hidden cravings of the heart all in his mind. A sim- this is similar to a kid who pretends heart desire to be Superman object, or a kid who pretends heart desire to be his favorite WWE wrestler, the object. Now, of course, the difference is that porn is not a child's game. I'm only using that as an illustration, but porn is not a child's game. It's a dark sin that will shrink the soul and kill a relationship. And so the kid who is pretending desire of the heart, that he is Superman, the object of those desires, well, that's the illustration. Now, with the porn person, of course, is way more deadly. All right. I'm going to share with you four characteristics of a porn person's heart desires. But before I do that, I trust you have perceived already that I have been steering away mostly from gender pronouns. And the reason I've done that, because I don't want you to fall into the trap of thinking only men can do this. When you start talking about pornography, people can... Women, for example, can automatically disconnect and say, well, what he is talking about is a man's problem, not mine. And so I want to give you, here's three reasons that I have been trying to be, as much as I could be, uh, not gender specific. Number one, as I said earlier, everyone is an addict to something. Now, perhaps your addiction is more respectable, like worry, anxiousness, or complaining. Maybe your subtle sins will not have as deadly consequences as others, but your subtle sins will put Christ on the cross. And so number one, I've I've tried not to be gender specific because I want everyone to think for themselves about themselves because one, everyone is an addict. Number two, you mustn't take a greater than stand when thinking about the porn person. There is a little bit of addiction in all of us and self-righteousness will kill any hope of praying well for a struggler or helping one. And so number one, everyone is an addict. Number two, self-righteousness will kill any redemptive work that you could possibly do. And then number three, if you do not heed my warnings here, you're not too far from falling. Pride comes before a fall. And if humility is not the basis for reflecting over the things that I am sharing, there will be some evil fruit of unrighteousness protruding from those dark places in your soul. 
And so those are the three reasons I've tried to steer away from being gender specific, even though I've been talking about pornography, mostly because this applies to all of us. Now, I want to give you four soul-shrinking characteristics, and I want to walk through them because I want you to understand these desires, this control center, and what some of these desires may be. This is not an exhaustive list. The first one is insecurity, a hidden desire in the heart. A component of the porn problem is someone craving for power, which is the opposite of insecurity. Surrounding himself with women that he can pretend are adoring him is one way a person will feel a sense of strength and appreciation. We're talking about insecurity here. And while some may look aghast at this kind of twisted thinking, again, you struggle similarly. Though your behavioral sin issue might not be porn. Your problem could be caring too much about what others think of you. Insecurity, hidden sin of the heart. You shudder at the thought of exposure for who you know yourself to be on the inside. What do you do? You present yourself as, fill in the blank, whatever you present yourself as, which is your way of securing the power you crave and the control that you crave. And so a soul-shrinking characteristic of the addict is insecurity. Number two, escapism. When you live in a world of your making, you are continually working to keep up the illusion like the person who is pretending to be someone that they are not. For men, we could call it workaholism as an example. The individual's craving for reputation through work is so intense that he works himself to death. His identity is in who he is, according to the world of his creation, rather than who he is in Christ. And so he works hard to build a reputation because that is his identity. And it does take work to pretend you're something, that your inner self is saying you are not that person, and you know that there's a dichotomy between who you feel and know yourself to be on the inside and who you present yourself to be on the outside, and at some point you become drained in search of a break. You need a pick-me-up to get you through another day. Some addicts find that release through mindless Facebook streaming. Others will binge-watch television, and the porn person will turn to that addiction. And so four soul-shrinking characteristics. One is insecurity, two is escapism, and the third one is appreciation. Our approval drives can be so potent that we delve into the darkness of our worlds to find a way to garner the applause that we crave. Late at night, sitting in the basement, entering the theater of the mind, the addict surrounds himself with his cyber associates. A craving for somebody to like me can be so alluring that we create a false world with false narratives, breathing lies into our minds and that we make and we make it okay. Adam and Eve jumped into this ditch immediately after their first sin. 
the first sin of unbelief. Their dark craving for approval sent them down a twisted road of excuse-making, hoping that God would like them. You remember what Adam told Eve? It was the woman that did this. And once you go down that road, your craving for appreciation will twist your thinking until now you're doing all kinds of deceptive things. And so insecurity is a soul-shrinking characteristic. So is escapism. So is a craving for appreciation. And then number four, soul deflation. All of these things, plus a few others, point to a deflated soul. The person who craves insecurity and escapism and appreciation and maybe a few other things that you could think about. It points to a deflated soul. It's a person who feels small on the inside and is shrinking by the day. He needs an ego trip, which is his go-to addiction. His go-to addiction provides him that ego trip. Many parents with critical attitudes toward their children have expedited the process of the child's addiction, whether it was porn, or real-world sexual relationships. One of the worst things you can do to an addict is to criticize them uncharitably. Whenever you degrade a person, soul deflation, there will be a corresponding temptation to pump themselves back up again. And so one of the soul-shrinking characteristics is the soul is the deflated soul. I've been talking about the characteristics of porn mostly, but I trust you can see your tendencies in these descriptors. These four soul-shrinking components are not exhaustive, but complete enough to demonstrate the need to look at the heart as you're helping the person with the object of their addiction. Indeed, the lady with the Facebook addiction must cut the cord At least for a season, the person with a porn addiction must make those external adjustments too. But if you miss the heart, you will not bring long-term restoration to the addicted soul. The addict's most significant heart problem is the same as it was for Adam and Eve. They have an issue with the Lord. Now, there's more to this podcast. There's a call to action that gives you some practical points to work through to help a person like this. But there's one last thing I want to mention. Did you notice the title of this article? Let me repeat it again. Let me see if you hear what I'm going to tell you. The need to know how choices to feel better are addictive. The need to know how choices to feel better are addictive. Did you hear the ambiguity of that title? It says that our choices to feel better are addictive. It's true whether those choices are righteous or evil. Didn't you feel better when God regenerated you? Of course you did. And that was an exceptional choice that you made. The choices to feel better can be addictive. And so the problem should not be our hope to feel better. The issue is the methods we choose to accomplish that desire. I want you to feel better. I want you to become addictive to feeling better. Choose God. Become addicted to God. That's the ambiguity of the title Yeah, the choices that you make can be addictive, and I trust you become addicted to Jesus. Thank you so much for listening.